0: Amen. Well, I woke up this morning and uh, wasn't thinking, and I put on this green shirt, and I I didn't realize it until Rachel over here came in with a green Packers uh, sweatshirt on. I thought, everybody's going to think that I'm a Packers fan, uh, and that is not the case, okay? I am uh, black and gold Steelers, right? Yes. Yes. All right. All right. And so so anyway, I just want to make that, that clear before we get started today. And uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the Gospel of Matthew. Those of you who aren't football fans are like wondering what just happened. Like, what what was that all about? Anyways, that's all right. Matthew uh, chapter 5, hold that. And then also, if you want to, you can, uh, if you have a bookmark in your Bible or if you are using your mobile device, that's fine. The Matthew 5 passage is going to be on the screen in just a few minutes. Uh, We're going to get there. And then you can also, if you want to hold Acts 17, uh, because we're going to visit that just for a few minutes later on as well. So Matthew is the very first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to be in Matthew 5, and we're going to read verses 13 through 16 here in just a second, all right? Here in just a second. So, are there any uh, are there any Lord of the Ring fans in the house today? Anybody? So a few of you, handful of you. So a handful of you will know then that uh, that Tolkien's uh, the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, Galadriel, however you say that that name. Am I saying that right for you, Lord of the Ring fans? Right. Uh, The Elf Queen says a classic line about the changes happening in the Middle Earth. And this is what she says to Frodo. She says, the world has changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. And I think that's a good description of the times that we live in today. Now, you may agree, you may disagree with what I'm about to say, but I I think the reality for us today is that we are living in a post-Christian culture. Which means the only thing that is wrong is to tell someone that they are wrong, right? What's, what's right for me may not be right for you. And I think over the last 50 or 60 years, we've seen this, this massive culture shift. And what I mean is, is that, that most everyone across the board 50, 60 years ago would have claimed to have been a Christian. Okay, Whatever that meant, they would have claimed to have been a Christian. Right? The church played a major role in shaping the direction of where our, our culture was going. Most everyone would have said that, yes, there is moral truth. Most everyone would have believed that there is a God. They would have believed that there is Jesus. Now, they may not have known exactly what Jesus came to do, but, you know, once you kind of share the gospel with them, they'd have been like, oh, okay, you know, I, I believe, you know, and, and they would have done that. And so, um, I remember when I was in Bible college, we took an evangelism class, and it was, it was a good class. It was very helpful. But they, they taught us how to share uh, the gospel with somebody just from the book of Romans. It's called the Romans Roman Road. Anybody familiar with that, the Roman Road? Yeah, and so, so in this class, we had to do this, and then we had to get a, a test subject uh, outside of class. We actually had to film uh, us presenting the Roman Road to somebody. All right? And so it was, it was a cool experience. And, uh, and, of course, everybody had 100% conversion rate because they already chose somebody that was a Christian uh, to share the Roman road with. But, you know, in, in class, it seems so simple is my point, right? You know, just, okay, walk through these scriptures. But, but now, man, that, that, would be, that would be an extremely difficult thing to, to walk through uh, the book of Romans and share that with somebody and for them to kind of grasp that, right? I mean, listen, the world around us is drastically changed. Right To quote uh, the famous line from Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, we're not in Kansas anymore, are we? Right? In our increasingly post-Christian culture, the influence and values that are shaping emerging generations are no longer aligned with Christianity. Right? They don't have a basic understanding of the story of the Bible, and they don't have one God as a predominant God to worship. That's why it would be so hard for us to kind of take them through that Roman road. Right? They, they just wouldn't have the grasp of it right? They're open to all types of faith, including new mixtures of religions. And so the purpose of this series that we actually kicked off last week with uh, the gospel and sanctity of human life uh, is counterculture. And the point of it is that we we are exploring the question of of how do we as followers of Jesus, how do we as Christians relate to this ever-changing culture? How do we relate to the non-Christian culture around us, right? How do we How do we engage them? How do we relate to uh, folks at work? I mean, for some of us, how do we relate to our our spouses at home, right, who aren't maybe Christians? How how do we relate to our our neighbors down the street? And so today, what we are going to do is talk about the gospel and culture and how the gospel influences culture, right? And so through through the years, there have been several approaches to how Christians counter culture. All right, and, and, and I'm going to share just a handful of these with you, and, and as I share these, they're going to be on, on the screen, and I want you to just kind of think through as, as we talk about them, maybe where you fall in line with some of these, these approaches, okay? Because maybe, because maybe, I, I, as, I, as I was studying through this sermon, I kind of, I kind of saw myself in all, all, all the approaches, right? And then, and then lastly, we're going to share one that I think is best uh, for us, uh, and then we'll kind of walk through that and, and look at some scripture as well, okay? So the very first approach, to counterculture, says that we should be defensive against. In other words, we need to kind of combat the culture. As Christians, uh, the attitude is, is that largely through politics, we need to take back the culture by basically taking Christian concepts and making sure the law upholds them, right? And so, you know, going back to when they took prayer out of school and all these, you know, the commandments off of the, uh, um, the whatever it was. The, what did they take the commandments out of? The courts, yeah, you know, and so, you know, kind of going through that, you know, we kind of combat that, uh, and so the, the, this response views the culture as an enemy to be defeated instead of a people to be saved, and, and because of this approach, unfortunately, by and large, Christians in America are known more for what they're against than for, than for how they live, right, I mean, have you ever been in a discussion with someone about an issue or a topic, right? Like, so like last week, we talked about the sanctity of human life. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and you felt yourself getting very defensive, right? Like making your point and you get to the point where you, you get into an argument or a shouting match. Has that ever happened to anybody? You don't have to say it has, right? But, but I, I can remember back in the day, man, I, I would get very defensive and I'd be, you know, all about, you know, up, up in people's face and this and that. And I look back on that and I think, oh, you know? I remember just, a, a, hasn't been a couple months ago, Robin's sister was at our house and we were having a conversation on the couch and I can't exactly remember what the topic was we were talking about, but, but Robin and I both were in a disagreement with her and, and I felt the, the argument, I felt, I felt the discussion get escalating. And so I, I, I kind of thought back to our, our counselor. We go to a counselor periodically, me and Robin. Her name is Sandy, she's awesome. Uh, she's at Footsteps and, uh, and she shared with us uh, Several years ago, she's like, hey, when you find that you're you in a discussion and it starts to escalate, then, then just take a time out, and take 15 minutes, right? And so I remember in that conversation with her sister, I said, I said time out, I got I to get up, I'm taking 15, I'm taking 15 minutes, right? Uh, so so here, here's my point in all this, right? It's okay to hate, wrongdoing. It's okay to take a moral stance, like we said last week, and yet not become angry, because when we do, we... we can become like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son, right? When we feel like we are superior, right? And so we we don't want to do that, and that that oftentimes turns people away. And so while the intent of being defensive against uh, begins moving in the right direction, right? Because you're making that moral stance, refusing to give up uh, on the world around us, it misses the heart of Jesus, right? Our desire must not be to prove that we are right? or to force our way on the world around us, but instead our goal is to is to lift Jesus up. Right? It's true and worthy. That's why our purpose here begins with making much of Jesus, because that's our desire for you, is that you would lift Jesus up, that pe- people would see Jesus in your life, in the way that you live, that you would make much of him, not just here at Chester Christian Church, man, but, but everywhere you go. And that's, that's our goal. And so countering culture doesn't mean being defensive against. Another approach is the a, a opposite of the being defensive against, and that is purity from the world. And maybe you've heard people talk about this before, uh, and, and the basic premise of this is, is that as Christians, we shouldn't really have anything to do with reforming society at all. So take, for instance, last week, Saints of Human Life, right? As Christians, the idea is, you know, it's just the way it is, it's the, the law they passed, we shouldn't really do anything to kind of reform that or, or change that at all. Uh, but rather, we should distance ourselves so that we are never have any interaction uh, with the world around us, right? People, people, that that's what people say. And again, the intent may seem honorable and sincere because we want to remove even the appearance of evil and the temptation of sin. But listen, Jesus specifically prayed in John 17 15 is, verse 15 and 16, it's the longest recorded prayer by Jesus. He says, he says Father, would you uh, don't take his followers out of the world, but protect them while they were sent into the world. And that, that's a paraphrase. That's not word for word, okay? All right, the world around us desperately needs the life-changing power of the gospel. And when we are making much of Jesus in our life and people are seeing that, Right? That, that's what we want people to see, right? So if we, if we disengage from the world, if we isolate ourselves, if we, if we kind of create these subcultures, we may feel like that's being counterculture, but really it's the inappropriate response because Jesus in Matthew 28 tells us to do what? To go into the world, right? Not, not to isolate ourselves from it. And here's the thing to think about, too. You know, the, the danger is you know, when you become a Christian, you become a follower of Jesus, and you're, you're a Christian for several years, the, the danger is, is that all of our friends, all of our influencers, people around us, become what? Christians also, right? And so we surround ourselves with Christians, and we never have any interactions with non-Christians. And so I want you to think about that today, right? Think about the people that you interact with. Think about the people you have dinner with. Think about the people that you, you know, are, are any of them non-Christian people, or have we isolated ourselves, right? So that's, that's another approach. Another approach to counterculture is to be relevant. I think this is something that we see a lot uh, today, if you pay attention to the news. Um, and so basically, the, 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 the idea is, is that Christians today are so irrelevant, right? We, we're just out of touch, we're out of tune, and we need to change things up, right? We need to be relevant. And this is really where you see, if you've ever heard the phrase, seeker-sensitive churches, or you've heard uh, emerging churches. This is where they've kind of popped up over the years, right? And, and the idea is, is that their effort is to be relevant. And so what happens is they start compromising what we believe and the way that we act in order to appeal or to appease the surrounding culture. right? We, we want to look cool to the, to the culture. And we may genuinely believe that doing this uh, is both loving and strategic, Hoping somehow people will be attracted to Jesus through a less offensive form of Christianity, right? Maybe if we're more attractive, maybe if we're more relevant, people will be less, uh, they'll be less uh, offensive to Jesus. But, but really, that's not, that's not Christianity at all. You guys have met one of my good friends, Jeremy. He's been here on stage before. He's preached a couple times. And he's, uh, he's uh, with uh, an organization called RISE, R-V-A. And so he's doing a lot of ministry down in the city. And uh, I, just, I love being around Jeremy. Uh, he, he's a great guy. I can see the spirit of God in him and what he's doing. And he was sharing with me one time that uh, he was having a conversation with a young lady who was a lesbian. And uh, he had built a relationship with, with her, him and his wife. And, and they were just chatting one night. And they were talking about the scriptures. And they were talking about Jesus. And, and this, this woman looked at him and she said, so what you're telling me is, is if I come to Jesus, I've got to give up my lifestyle. And then I love what Jeremy responded. He said, oh, no, no, no. He said, that's much worse than that. He says, you've got to give up your life. See, that, that's, that's what it's about. It's not a, it's not, that's not about trying to be relevant in the sense of, like, we want people to be, you know, not, we don't want to be offensive, right? If, 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 we're, if we're, The biggest problem with this approach is that the church begins to look a lot like the world, right? There's no visible difference. And if we claim to have... The good news, and say that the gospel is what changes us from the inside out, but we look no different from the world. Then why would people want what we have, right? And we've seen this recently in media. Listen, if you are follow any of the media, Christian media, uh, with some, you see this with prominent Christian authors and artists who have compromised the gospel and their beliefs, and they've conformed to cultural issues like. Like abortion, like homosexuality, right? Because the biblical view on those social issues is labeled insulting, it's labeled offensive. And, and I would just propose this to you this morning. You know, it's, it's interesting that we look at those issues like abortion, like homosexuality, like race, and, and we look at those and we say, man, that's offensive. You Christians who you're against, you're against people like that. And that's what they say because most of the time what they see is they see Christians who are hating, they're being defensive against, right? Most, most of the time that's what they see. But I, but I would propose, man, that the gospel itself, listen, the gospel itself is much, much more offensive than any of those topics or issues. Listen, when you begin to tell people that there is one God who is holy, which means he is unique and there is no one like him. And that he is just, which means that everything he does is 100% right. And that he is the creator of the universe. And that he is the author of life. And he is the author of creation. He possesses authority over all creation, including you and me. And that he is the judge of us. And that our response to him is rebellion and disobedience. And because of that, we've been separated from God. And our punishment is eternal separation in hell. Listen, when you begin to tell people that, that is offensive. And when you tell people that there is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross, when you begin to share that with people, that is offensive. That is way more offensive than telling somebody that their lifestyle is wrong. Would you agree? And so how do we relate to the culture around us? And this last approach, I think, is the best approach. And it's really the approach that Jesus gives us in Matthew 5, 13 through 16 from the Sermon on the Mount. And that is to have a faithful presence within. You can write that down. I'm going to flesh that out for us and kind of what that means, right? Faithful presence within. It's kind of deep there. And so the idea is that we're not just being defensive, right, and telling everyone why they're wrong. Nor do we isolate ourselves from the culture nor do we conform to the culture, but rather, but rather we are here, right? We are, we are present here. We are faithful. We, in other words, we're not going anywhere, right? We, we are actively involved. We are present in the culture. We are consistently engaging with people, building relationships, and that's what Jesus talks about here. Let's read this. Uh, Matthew 5, 13 through 16, uh, his Sermon on the Mount, and this is what he says. He says, Talking to his disciples, he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its uh, saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So the idea there, you know, hey, if you, if you just conform to the world, right? If, you just, if you're just like everybody else, then what good is your witness for, for me going to be? Right? He says, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so, you know, in ancient times, we we, we think about salt today, but in ancient times, man, salt was very, very valuable. Uh, Roman soldiers, they got their wages in salt. Uh, the Old Testament law, if you look at Leviticus uh, chapter 2, verse 13, I know that's some of y'all's favorite book there, uh, but, it, but, but salt was actually required uh, in offerings presented uh, to God. Uh, salt was used more as a preservative back in those days in seasoning, right? The reason was because they didn't have uh, refrigerators, they didn't have freezers to be able to pack their meat and their fish, right? And, too, and so they used salt to kind of preserve the meat, because if they didn't, then it would decay fast, right? And so to the disciples in the first century hearing this, would have, they would have understood well what Jesus meant, right? They didn't have, uh, like I said, the privilege of, of putting things in freezers, right? And so, so because of sin, human society tends to go bad and get corrupted. And Jesus' point is, is that as followers of Jesus, we who have been made new by the gospel of Jesus, function as preserving agents to prevent moral decay. In other words, we, we, we influence the culture by being present in the culture. Right? It's an intriguing, it's an intriguing image that Jesus gives here, right? Think about, think about our use for salt today. Unless you have high cholesterol, and I'm sorry about that if you do, we use a dash of salt here and a dash of salt there, right? And listen, you can put a little bit of salt on food and something that's bland, it can just totally change the taste, can't it? Like so, so a few weeks ago, Robin was at the store, and she brought home some peanuts. We, she buys peanuts for me. I love, love peanuts. And she bought, she accidentally, by mistake, had bought, yeah, unsalted peanuts. And I didn't recognize, I didn't even notice until I stuck my hand down in the peanuts, and I pulled one out, and I ate it. And I was like, what is this mess? What is this garbage that you've brought into my house? No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. To her. I didn't say that. To her. But, uh, but, you know, it, it's funny because uh, I was like, I can't, I can't eat these. And so then she went back to the store, not, not that day, but later on she went back to the store, and she bought salted peanuts, and she said, you know what, I'll just mix them up. And so she put them in a big old container, and she mixed them up, and so you had salt. So I reached in there, and I grabbed them. Right? And and I couldn't even taste the unsalty ones because of the salty ones, right? They were mixed together. There's a great balance, right? They just kind of drew me in. I just kept wanting to eat more and more and more peanuts. And in the same way, Jesus is saying that we are to be salty Christians that draws people in, right? There's a noticeable difference in our lives, it causes people to take notice and ask. Hey, what's what's the difference in your life? What you know? What, what is, I notice that you don't get stressed out a lot? I notice that you don't you know you, you just seem to have this peace about you. It's because we have a faithful presence within the culture. We have this balance, right? Because I don't think Jesus meant for us to take a five pound bag of pellet salt and just start cramming it down people's throat, right? that's, that's not what Jesus meant there. And I also don't think that he he means for us to to just be bland like the unsalted peanuts, right, and just kind of disengage where we just kind of blend in. Now he wants us to have that balance. He wants us to be salty Christians. I think Paul, the apostle Paul who wrote, who writes the majority of the New Testament, gives us a great example of this in Acts chapter 17. So if you, if you had that, if you held that in place, go ahead and turn there. Acts 17, we're not going to read much of this, but I would encourage you to go back home and read through this passage. This is a great passage and a great example of countering culture and kind of what we're talking about of having that faithful presence within the culture, okay? So, so Acts 17, the, the, let me kind of set this up for you. Um, it was during Paul's second missionary journey, and he travels through Athens, Greece, and this place is a very pagan culture. I mean, they worshipped pagan gods. I mean, you read through the chapter, you see uh, just how uh, pagan they were and what they worshipped. And look at verse 16 with me. um, Verse 16 through 18. This is what it says. It says, now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. Look at verse 17. I love this. So he reasoned in the synagogue... With the Jews. right? That, that word reason, man, that, that's a great word there. The idea is, is that, that, that he was patient, there's a patient persuasion, right? He reasoned. And it says, I think it says, he reasoned in a synagogue with a Jew uh, in the market every day. Every day. So every day he would go back and he would reason with them, right? He was faithful. He had this faithful presence. He didn't just disengage, he was there and, and he, was, uh, he was patient with them. And then it says, uh, Verse 18, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Now, Epicureans, they, they believed that the purpose of life was to just eat, drink, and be merry, and, uh, and that's what life was about. And, and then the, the uh, Stoic philosophers, they were the complete opposite. They believed in denying yourself of pleasure, right? And so that's kind of the two views that Paul was, was kind of dealing with uh, in that day. And, uh, and then it's, this is where Paul finds himself. He's steeped in pagan culture. And then jump down to verse 22, and I want you to see this, what he does. It says, uh, verses 22 to 24, it says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown god.'" What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. And then Paul continues to kind of lay out the gospel for them throughout that chapter. And I love this. This Notice what Paul does, right? He's not defensive, and he doesn't attack, and he doesn't say, he doesn't pull out his, his Hebrew scriptures and say, guys, the Old Testament tells us that if you worship other gods, you're going to go straight to hell. Right? He doesn't come in there and do that, does he? He's not combative against. He doesn't attack them. Nor does Paul see the city and say, man, this city is just full of worship and idols and all this and that. And he says, I think I'm just going to walk around this city, right? I'm just going to isolate myself. I'm disengaged from it. I'm going to purity from That's not what he does. But rather, he engages, doesn't he? says his spirit is provoked in him. And day after day after day, he spent time in the synagogue with patient persistence, persuading. He engaged the culture. He was a faithful presence within. Paul was salt and light. And this is what Jesus is saying, right? We are to be a faithful presence within the culture, salt and light. And then when Jesus gives the metaphor of being light, he says that you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And then he goes back to light and listen, in ancient Middle Eastern times, in Jesus' day, you never built a city uh, on a hill because you would have been exposed, right? Everybody would have seen this city. You would be visible to the whole world. And this is Jesus' point. He's saying, listen, you, you need to be visible. People need to see that there is a difference in your life, that you are living counterculture. culture." So my question for us this morning is, is are we willing to enter in and engage? Are we willing to be that faithful presence within our culture? And, and listen, this is the same premise we, we said last week, right? We, we said, hey, you can take a moral stance on abortion, but, but, but I want us to be serious about the, the men and women who are contemplating abortion, about the men and women who, who are pregnant and don't know what to do. I want us to engage them. I want us to be in their life. I want us to walk alongside of them. And this is what we're talking about, man. Right? Listen, when we look around and we see a, a society that is falling apart, a neighborhood that is going down in shambles, do we, do we pack up the house and say, hey, we're moving out of here and we're going to a nicer neighborhood? Or, or do we stay and do we have a faithful presence within? Do we engage our neighbors? Do we, do we love on them? Do we, do we serve them? Are we willing to jump in and show compassion for others just as, just as God showed love and compassion towards us? Are we willing to integrate our faith, right, to have that faithful presence within in our workplace, I think sometimes we look at work and, and we think, well, it's just a job. I'm just going to get a paycheck and that's all I'm doing. But Listen, we need to be thinking about this. How can we make much of Jesus in our workplace? Right? How can we integrate our faith? How can we be counterculture in our workplace? Are we performing our jobs to the best of our ability? Are we giving our, our boss 100%? If you're the boss, are you treating your employees right? Are you treating them fair Listen, we live in a day and age where it's about getting to the top, and we'll do whatever we can to get there. And we are, are, are we humble? So that, that's the questions that we have to ask that we have to answer. And listen, it doesn't have to be big things, right? It, it can be small things, right? For instance, Leah a few weeks back, Robin was in Babies R Us and she was buying diapers, and um, and and, and she was at the checkout, and she had these coupons, and, and, and Babies are Us, man, I don't know what is the deal with their computers, but they always seem to have glitches, and so I kid you not, Robin stood in line for nearly an hour with this guy as they tried to figure out what was going on. Now, Robin could have easily been like, she could have, she could have easily been like, you guys are killing me. You know, where's the manager? I don't want to speak to the manager. You guys need to get your stuff together. You know, she could have just went on and on and on and on, Right? But, but she didn't. She was patient with the guy. She was kind with the guy. And he was very, very appreciative of that. He's like, ma'am, I just appreciate your, your patience with us. And she says, don't worry about it. Yeah, you know, another another small instance. And it just, it just amazes me that what people get upset about, right? And so I'm sitting in food line one day, and uh, it's kind of busy. It's kind of backed up, and, and I set myself on the conveyor belt. And, and they didn't have the dividers, right? And so the woman behind me was sitting her groceries up there as well. And the lady that was checking us out, you know, she kept moving the conveyor belt up. And every time she did, the woman's stuff behind me kept falling into my stuff. And this woman was getting visibly mad <laughs> that her stuff was falling into my stuff. And she was like, I don't know why she keep," out loud where this woman can hear, you know, I don't know why she's doing that, why she keep moving the belt. And I was just like, hey, it's okay. I'm, I'm, you know, don't worry about it. You know? And so that, that's, that's, that's my point. Are we Are we different? You know, are we patient with people? Are we showing kindness? Are we, are, we, are we forgiving people? Are we forgiving our enemies? And this is the kind of counterculture kind of living that, listen, that changed the culture that Jesus lived in in that first century world. Man, you know, when the early church started in the book of Acts, man, it was, it was a measly 3,000 people, and the culture they lived in was brutal. I mean, it was just, it was just off the chain. I mean, Rome was the dominant power, and that culture was built on power and exploitation. I mean, they were all about getting to the top. They had no concern for the poor or the marginalized. Uh, they, 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 they disrespected women. They considered them lower class, and they degraded them. Sexual promiscuity and throwing out uh, unwanted babies was perfectly fine in that culture. I mean, they worshiped multiple gods, and, and, and they found it offensive if you did not show honor to their gods. This is the culture that the first century church started in. And so when the gospel started to spread, it was like, it was seen as trying to undermine the social order. Right? Christianity, listen listen to me, Christianity both offended and attracted people. It both offended and attracted people, right? Instead of showing, instead of showing honor to their gods, Christians proclaimed that there is one God. Instead of promoting self, and rising to the top, Christians were called to a life of humility, service, and putting others first, right? So people began to take notice, right? They were offended, like, who do these Christians think they are? But then on the other side, they were like, I've never seen this before. Like, they're actually serving other people. They're, they're, they're humble. They're, you know, they love others. Instead of, instead of retaliating against enemies, they, they forgave their enemies. I mean, they were being killed. And they were were praying and loving on their enemies. Instead of ignoring the poor and the marginalized, they were generous towards the poor and marginalized, and they welcomed the men. That's amazing, right? It wasn't just to their own families and racial group, right? This This was to the poor and the needy and those of other races. Christian communities treated women with dignity and respect and as equals. This is why if a woman in the first century got converted to Christianity, she wanted her husband to be converted so badly because she knew. I mean, they, they, were, they, were, they, they, were, they were attracted to this. They were like, man, something's different. You guys actually treat women with respect and dignity and as equals. Like, this is, this is so far from what we're used to. And that's how they began to influence the culture. They were a faithful presence within So why isn't Christianity exploding in the U.S. today? I want to read this quote. It's going to be on the screen. Tim Keller, he writes this. He says, if a religion isn't different from the surrounding culture, if it doesn't critique and offer an alternative to it, it dies because it's seen as unnecessary. Listen, the early church changed history with a dogged adherence to the biblical gospel. So the question this morning is, is how are we different? What are we offering our culture today that they don't already have? What are they seeing in us that is different? And I believe that the way we offer that to our culture is, is not by being combative against, not by isolating ourselves or being relevant to, but I think we do it by having a faithful presence within. Right? We, we build relationships. We engage our neighbors we engage our co-workers. I want you to think about the cross for a second. And this is what we're going to close with. Right? I want you to think about the cross. As Jesus is going to the cross, everyone, all of his disciples, all of his friends, everyone has deserted him. It's one of his own disciples has betrayed him. And so Jesus is on his way to the cross and he's, he's by himself. He's alone. He's alone. And in the cross, you know, it represents kind of two things, right? Jesus uh, is, is defeating, uh, he, he's, he's, he's defeating the evil forces and uh, darkness of the world. But at the same time, Jesus is showing his love and his grace and his forgiveness towards us. And listen, we were his enemies. We were the ones who deserted Jesus at the cross, right? We were the ones who put Jesus on the cross. And yet Jesus shows us what it means to be a faithful presence within, right? He comes, he enters into our world, he is with us, and he pursues after us. That that furious furious love, he pursues after us. And this is what I want you to know this morning. Listen, if you're here and, and you struggle with forgiveness, if you struggle with like, man, there's no way that God could ever love me or forgive me, listen, the cross overcomes all of your sins. And Jesus wants you to know, man, that you can have forgiveness. He died for you. He died for me. So I just want to encourage you this morning. If you're here this morning, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. If you, like, struggle with that, man, I would love to talk with you this morning. I'll be up front. I would love to chat with you as we sing this next song. If you're here this morning and you've, like, seen yourself in some of those ways, I, I, I tell you, man, I always get convicted. Do you ever have those moments where you kind of think back to time in your life and you just kind of cringe because you're like, I can't believe I did that. You ever have those moments? I woke up this morning at 3.30 and I could not go back to sleep for the longest time and for whatever reason, I was laying in bed and I was thinking to like life 15, 20 years ago and I kept thinking to myself, why did I do that? <laughs> and I just cringe. I was laying in bed and I was just like, I can't believe I did that. And you're like, man, I just, you know, I just need just, you know, whatever it is, if you see yourself in, in any of those things, and you're just like, you know, I, just, I just want prayer, I just want encouragement. That's what this is about, man. We want to encourage you. We want to help you. We want to walk alongside of you. And so we just encourage there'll be prayer team members up here. There'll be a prayer team member in the back. We would love to, to pray with you this morning, okay? So would you guys stand with us and let's sing together.